is to introduce them to what following Jesus is all about. Okay? Well, when my brother and I were younger, uh, one of the things that we made a commitment to to make a priority and figure out how to do was to build a treehouse. And I think the one on my left, your right, is more what ours looked like. Uh, we found some scrap wood. We somehow hauled it up in the tree, built a platform, some walls, and a roof. And we were quite proud of our accomplishment. I'm not sure sitting here thinking about it, how we actually did it, but somehow we did it. And as uh, two brothers in a family with three sisters, uh, we never had the loudest voice, the longest whine, and we were often outnumbered. And so we had to find a place for ourselves. And so the treehouse was the ideal place for ourselves. And as we planned this treehouse and we figured out who was going to be there, we had to then ask ourselves the question, would there be anybody else allowed in? Now, we have three sisters, so I'm the oldest, my brother's the middle. Between the two of us, we have a sister, her name is Grace, and we ruled her out right away. She's the oldest sister, she was the, always bossy, and when mom and dad weren't around, she's trying to tell us what to do. She got ruled out right away, she's, off, she's out. And then I have a younger sister, she's seven years younger than me and four years younger than my brother. She's too small, she might fall climbing up there, okay, she's out. So the only other possibility was my middle sister, Ruth. She's the most easygoing, the most agreeable to do things you want to do, and the least likely to rat on you if you do things you weren't supposed to do. And my brother and I, we had lots of things we weren't supposed to do that we did anyways. Or at least I did. He wouldn't confess to it, but I did. Um, So the sign was not completely no girls allowed, but it was no girls allowed, and occasionally Ruth would be allowed in. And so that's what the sign was on on our clubhouse. And Part of what you discover as you grow up is being included, being a part of, not being excluded is something that every kid has to navigate. Will I get picked? Will I get included? Will I be a part of that? And what you discover as you move into your teen years and your student years, that doesn't change because you still wonder, will I get picked? Will I get included? Will I be a part of whatever it is that's going on? And it doesn't end there because then you become an adult and you wonder, will I get invited to the party? Will I get invited to the wedding? Will I get a ticket? Will I get an invite? And it's even worse when you have an extra ticket because then you have to decide, who do I invite? And you hope that the person you invite doesn't post it on social media so all your other friends know you didn't invite them and they become upset at you as well. And so this dilemma just goes on for all of life. But whether I'm in or whether I'm not in is not just a social dilemma in relationships. It's something that affects in other parts of our world. You know, racially, it's an issue. You look around the room this morning, there's not a lot of racial diversity in our setting here. Um, But racial tensions and racial inclusivity is a big issue. And it's something that our country for, for decades has tried to move forward and make progress on. But it seems like it's a it's a ticking time bomb that at any moment could simply explode and go off. And not just racial tensions, but religious ones as well. And these are all over our world, where there's inclusivity, exclusivity, and who gets in and who doesn't get in. And if you're in, then this is what you do. And if you're not in, you're not allowed to be a part of this or even come and be in these places. And so this question of who gets picked for the team is an issue that affects us on a lot of different fronts. A lot of different fronts. You know, we talk about this this idea of who gets in, it it's something that's really important to us here at CCC. And if you came in the lobby, you might not have seen it because there's a lot of people in the lobby, but there's a sign on the wall that says our values. And our very first value is the value of gracious acceptance. Gracious acceptance. 
And as we sit with that idea of gracious acceptance, we ask ourselves, what does that mean? And who is allowed in? And who can come in? And who's able to be here? And we force ourselves to move past our personal comfort level and our background and our prejudice to ask ourselves the question, who would Jesus invite in? Who would Jesus invite in? The first question is, He would invite anybody. He would invite anybody. But I would challenge that assumption. Because last week we looked at a story where Jesus was debating some religious leaders and their perception about what you had to do to be in, very different than Jesus' perception. And if you would ask me, I would say Jesus would say those guys weren't ready to be in. They weren't ready to be in. What about a member of the Roman army who used their political power in oppressive and cruel ways? Would Jesus invite them in? Hmm. Hmm. Mistreated women? Devalued children? Would Jesus invite them in? Huh. Might have to think about that. But in a culture today that says this sign is not allowed, you can't fill that blank in and put it anywhere, the question is, should anybody be able to come in? Should anybody be able to come in? And you can even take that one step further and look at it politically with the immigration issue and say, who should be allowed in? We're not going to tackle that one, but... um, (laughs) But we are in a series entitled Simply Jesus, and this series is a series about Jesus. And uh, his story is recorded by a guy named Mark. Uh, Mark received it from Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus, an eyewitness to the events that were recorded. You can almost describe Mark as a journalist, a reporter. And his source was Peter. Peter was there with Jesus from the very beginning. He saw everything. He observed everything. He experienced everything. And he told Mark about everything he experienced, and Mark wrote it down. The first half of the book of Mark that we're going to wrap up, that Jeremy's going to wrap up next week, it points to the first picture on that circle, in that circle, which is, a, which is a crown, which we think of as a king. And this is Jesus' identity as a king. You see, he was coming to offer himself as a king, but not as a king that would overthrow the Roman government, which is what everybody wanted, but a king of a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of faith, a a way of faith and relation that's not focused on rules, all the things you have to do, but on a relationship, a faith that's not focused on what you look like on the outside, but on your heart that God wants to transform. And last week we looked at that exact issue where Jesus confronted these religious leaders who said, hey, they said, as long as you do the right things and you don't do the bad stuff, then you're okay with God. And Jesus said, that's not the way it works. Because you can do all the right things and not do the bad stuff and still have a wicked heart. And what are you going to do about that? And so Jesus constantly confronted their way of thinking, pushed into the traditions, the ways that they approach things, and said, it's really about what's going on the inside, because he wanted to be the king, not of their country, but of their hearts. So if you have a Bible this morning, if you want to grab it and turn to Mark chapter 7, you can follow along on your phone, wireless device. If you have, uh, you can, there's Bibles in the rack, seat rack in front of you, you can turn to page 818. That's where we're going to be this morning if you want to follow along. Um, I'll also be up on the screen behind me here, but Mark chapter 7 is where we're going to be, and as we jump into this story, uh, Mark chapter 7, I have to skip ahead here a little bit, there we go, Um, Jesus left that place, that place is the place he was debating the religious leaders, and he went into the vicinity of Tyre. Now, where is Tyre? It's not a place we know about much today, but Tyre was a port city, so you can see it up on the coast there, 
um, along with Sidon. They were about 20 miles apart. And what you know about a port city is a port city is where all the money was. You say, what do you mean that's where all the money was? Because everybody else, they were shepherds or they were farmers. They were trying to scratch out or eke out an existence. Or they were carpenters or they were tradesmen. Um, but people on the port... That's where all the goods and services, they had a steady flow of income. Whereas if you were raising crops, you never knew from one year to the next whether you would make a buck or you'd be flat broke. But the people that lived in the port cities, they had a steady flow of income coming in all the time, all the time. And so they were quite wealthy. And so Jesus had been down in the Judea area, the blue circle right in the middle, uh, you know, the blue spot, that's where he was. And, and uh, he decided he needed a little R&R. And so he says he went to this house. He didn't want anyone to know it, to know where he was. He just needed some downtime. He'd had a very intense situation that he had been engaged in, and he needed some downtime. We talk about this often here at CCC. You know, one of our values is intentional rhythms, and we talk about needing to pause, put life on pause. And just this past week, I had several conversations with people, and I said, hey, you seem like if this is your tank, you seem like you're like way down here. You like have nothing in the tank. And they're like, yeah, I don't have anything in the tank. And, and I said to them, so, so what do you do to refill your tank? What do you do to recharge? And uh, we had some conversations around that, and one of the individuals didn't really know. What do they do to recharge their batteries? And, and so that's really what Jesus was doing here. He was going away to recharge his batteries. There had just been an intense engagement with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he needed to recharge his batteries. And so that's where he went. And he wanted to go to a place where nobody would know him, so he'd have a little privacy, a little solitude. And often in those times, he would go to meet with God the Father, and, and that time would recharge him. But he couldn't keep it a secret. It wasn't possible. So while he was there, um, a woman heard about him being there, a woman whose daughter was possessed by an impure spirit. We don't know what really this actually means, other than there was something physically wrong with this daughter. Something physically wrong. Not as critical as the, the daughter we looked at two weeks ago where she was on her deathbed, but something was very seriously wrong with her. So serious that her mother was desperate. And so she came to Jesus and look at her response. She fell at his feet. She fell down at his feet. Um, it's a sign of humility. It's a sign of someone who's desperate. They fell down at, she fell down at Jesus' feet. Stark contrast to the people that Jesus ran into last week where they weren't on their knees in front of him. They were going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jesus about what he was saying. This doesn't seem very unusual, because there was lots of people who came to Jesus, lots of people who asked Jesus for help. But Mark tells us a little bit more about this woman's story. He goes on to say, she was a Greek, and she was born in Syrian Phoenicia. So she was a Greek, not a Jew. And so what this means is that she was also considered a Gentile. Anybody not a Jew is considered a Gentile, which meant that she could not go into Jewish places of worship, which means that she was not supposed to engage or interact with Jewish rabbis or teachers for fear that she would touch them and then they would be ceremoniously unclean and could not go in to serve in the place of worship. As I mentioned, this place was uh, up north, Serious, uh, it was up in the northern part of the country. It was outside of the area. They were wealthy neighbors to the north. And they were not the kind of neighbors that, they were not very kind neighbors. And so there was no love loss between the two of them. And so that's who this woman was. We still don't quite know why she's different. It still doesn't stand out to us. So let me give you a picture. 
Imagine that maybe for the holidays you decide you want to do something, you and maybe your family or, or, or your kids wanted to do something, so you go down to the Water Street Rescue Museum, let's go down there and serve a meal. They serve meals all the time, right? Let's go serve a meal at Water Street. So you go down to Water Street and you're there serving a meal and, and, and you're serving a meal to people that are homeless, people don't have a whole lot and... Uh, you hear this noise outside, you hear this low rumbling outside, and you're like, what's going on? And somebody looks out the window, and there's, there's five black Escalades with dark tinted windows that pull up. And a woman steps out in high stiletto heels, all black, dressed to kill, and she walks into the shelter, and she says, I'm here to get some food. That's what this woman was like. She wasn't just a mom like any other mom. This is a wealthy mom. This is a mom who had everything she needed. Everything except her daughter being free from this spirit that was potentially harming her. And so she shows up and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Jesus, can you? No, I, I'm, I'm really here to rest. You know, can you just give me some time? No, Jesus, can you? You know, I, I really don't have anything left. I don't. There's no way for me to do this right now. Can you come back tomorrow? No, Jesus, I can't come back tomorrow. You know, she just wouldn't let up. She just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And, you know, moms kind of get this, right? You know, if, if, you're, if your kid, something's wrong with your kid and you need something and you know someone has the capacity to give you what you need for your kid that has a need, you're not going to give up, are you? You're going to keep at it. You're going to go at them. You get this, right? As a mom. And that's what this woman was doing. It's not just a one-time ask and then go find other solutions. She was not letting up. She was on her knees pleading with Jesus over and over and over again. So the question is, then how did Jesus reply? If you read through any of the stories about Jesus, you see him healing people. You see him helping people. You see him serving people. And, 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 and you see him wanting to see that people are humble and not proud and arrogant. And you, want, you see stories of him um, looking for evidences of faith. So this woman believed that Jesus could do something. That's an evidence of faith. She had some confidence in him, right? She's on her knees. She's begging. So there's a spirit of humility. And you would almost expect Jesus to say, based upon your faith and your humility, your daughter's the demon is out, right? You expect Jesus to do a loving and kind thing just like... That's what we would expect from Jesus in this scenario. But what does Jesus do? He says this, First let the children eat and all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. You're thinking, what? What? She's not talking about dogs or bread. She's talking about her little girl who's got this problem and you're the one who can help. What's this about children and eating and bread and dogs and tossing it to the... What in the world is going on? It doesn't make any sense to us. But the woman got it. Because look what she says to Jesus. Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. You're like, I don't get it. Clearly she got it. Clearly she got it. What in the world is going on? Children eating dogs, very, very confusing. Well, I want to suggest to you that Jesus was talking about here was order of priority. Order of priority. Look what he says. He says, first let the children eat. So who gets to eat first in this story? Who gets to eat first? Say it out loud. Who gets to eat? Right. Kids get to eat first, right? Kids get to eat. Kids are like, yes, we get to eat first, not wait for the parents, you know. So they're not here. So, you, um, uh, so the kids get to eat first. And then she says, you shouldn't give the kids bread and toss it to the dog. So who gets to eat second in the story? 
the dogs, right? The dogs. So the question is, in this story, who are the kids? So who do you think, based on the fact that Jesus is speaking, and Jesus is a Jew, and the Jews are the chosen people of Israel, chosen people of God that he hand-selected to be a people after his name, who do you think gets first priority from Jesus' lips? Who do you think? The Jews. The Jews, right? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the Jews get first dibs. They get first dibs. And then he said, and if there's anything left, because we're not going to take it away from them and throw it under the table, if there's anything left, then everybody else can have what's left. And you're like, so Jesus was calling this woman a dog? You're like, that doesn't sound very nice, even for Jesus, you know? Um, And you're right, he was. He was. And she even acknowledged it. Even the dogs get some crumbs, and I'll be there waiting for the crumbs. You know, and when they're talking about dogs, they're not talking about your household pet. They're talking about these things, you know? Um, Earlier this year, when I was over in Israel, they tell you don't touch the dogs, stay away from the dogs. The dogs have no shots. They will bite you. You will end up with some kind of disease, you know? Uh, we still had people trying to feed the dogs. They're crazy, but we still did, you know? But that's what normally when people were referred to dogs in that culture in that day, that's what you referred to. Jesus used a slightly different word. He used this word to refer to dogs. He referred to puppies. Small dogs is what he referred to. So even in his strong words to this woman, He used a gracious word. Now we can spend a lot of time focusing on why did Jesus say that? And why did he say those words to her? And why wasn't he kinder to her? And why didn't he do all those things? We can spend a lot of time on that. I want you to focus on the woman. Because this is a woman who had it all. And this is a woman who got what she usually wanted. But this woman didn't demand anything from Jesus. She didn't demand anything from him. She just said, you know, if there's any leftovers, I'll take them, right? The dogs will get whatever's left. I'll take them. She didn't call him out for not being kind and gracious and loving at all. What did she do? She said, I will humbly wait until there are crumbs, and when they're ready, I will be here. Why don't you just hit pause for a second? Because this woman did not take it personally. She didn't demand her rights She did not gather a following. She did not start a riot. She did not try to run him out of town. She didn't blow it up on social media. What did she do? She said, I'm ready, and even though I'm not first in line, when there's something here, I'm going to be waiting for you. This is a pretty remarkable response. She debates and wrestles with Jesus in an agreeable, respectful, and honoring way. And she asked Jesus to give her something not on the basis of her goodness or the fact that she deserves it, because she knows she doesn't, but on the basis of his goodness. And when you can, and when you will, I will be ready here to receive. This woman is not too proud to accept the fact that the Jews got first shot, and she was not initially in. And so she realized it's not for me yet. But there's another thing that she didn't do that sometimes we do. Because sometimes we say, okay, I understand, I don't get it yet. 
But sometimes we go to the other side and say, well, I don't really deserve it. I don't really deserve it. And she doesn't say that either. Look what Jesus says. He says, for, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child laying on the bed, and the demon was gone. And you're like, why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus do this? Doesn't ever talk about her faith. She had to have some confidence in Jesus. Points to her humility and her recognizing that even though she wasn't first in line, she was humbly willing to wait. And she didn't say, I don't deserve it either. To say, I don't need Jesus is no different than to say, I'm too awful for Jesus. And what she did say is she boldly approached Jesus It was determined to ask him nonstop and humbly wait for an answer. And as I started to ask you this question, who gets in? Who gets in with Jesus? This is a, this is a crazy story because this is a woman who is way on the outside. A woman you would never expect would need Jesus. And yet she shows up. And he even says, it's not for you. And she says, I'm ready, waiting, whenever it comes to me. She recognized that she needed Jesus. And I would suggest to you that the reason he responded to her was not just her humility, but also the fact that she recognized there was no other place to go. There was nowhere else to turn. There was no other hope in her life and in her story other than Jesus. Jesus then leaves and goes and has another encounter. In verse 31, he left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon and down the Sea of Galilee into the region of Decapolis. So he goes a little north and then heads down south um, into that big uh, area there called Decapolis. That's where he headed. And as he gets to this area... um, there's some people that brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And so he would call this individual a mute. He could see, but he couldn't hear, and he couldn't speak. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Uh, we don't know how these people are connected to him. We know sometimes it was friends that brought a friend to Jesus. We know sometimes it was parents that brought a child to Jesus. We don't know how these people are connected to this guy. I want to suggest to you that it's likely not his family. Because someone who couldn't speak, someone who couldn't hear, someone with, a, with a, a limitation like that, they were often ostracized, they were often put in places by themselves, they were often removed from the family. And so it could have been people that were removed from society that said, we heard Jesus was coming, and they brought him to Jesus. And they begged Jesus as well. And they said, Jesus, just your hand. That's all we want is just your hand. But look what Jesus does. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, very unusual, because the last few stories, Jesus heals people in front of other people and then says, shh, don't tell. This one he takes away. And I wonder if it's because of the way that this guy had been treated all his life and Jesus didn't want him to continue to be a spectacle. But what did he do? He put his fingers in the man's ears, then he spit and he touched the man's tongue and then he looked up at heaven with a deep sigh, said, Ephrathah, which means be opened. Everything about this story is unusual. It's unusual. I mean, as I thought about someone who's mute, I thought they can see, and so they can watch people's responses. 
They can pick up body language. They know what people think of them, even if no one says it. They know how they're viewed by other people. And this guy, Jesus took him off by himself, away from the crowds, and Jesus touched his ears, touched his tongue, which some have suggested may have been a form of sign language, the only way to communicate with these individuals. And then he, a deep sigh. You know, Jesus didn't say, hey, buddy, you're not going to believe what's going to happen. This is going to be so amazing. You know, you, 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 what I can do to you, nobody else can do. Your life is going to change forever. You know, like the person with the publisher's clearinghouse sign, your life is going to change forever, you know. Because, you know, that, that, that's not what Jesus did. And this deep, like, oh, Why? Maybe because of everything this guy had been through. And Jesus didn't want to add to that. And so maybe he took him off for those reasons. I'm not exactly sure. Um, But what I know is what happened next is exactly what was said was going to happen. Because in the book of Isaiah it said, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, opened up, the lame will leap, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. And guess what happened to this guy? At that moment, his ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Who got in? A guy that was likely tossed aside, likely pushed aside. And so why did Jesus include this story? Why did he include this story? Jesus didn't want to be known as the miracle man. I think the image in this picture is someone who is present, but they can't engage with Jesus. Or only to a very limited way. And I want to suggest to you that that is part of every person's story in life. Every person gets to a place where they have some awareness of Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning, and you kind of know about Jesus. You've heard about Him. You know He's this guy in the past, and people go to church, and it's all about the Jesus thing. But you don't really know what's going on with Jesus. And He wants them to see that when you come to the place in your life where you recognize you can't make life work on your own, and you recognize you need a Savior, that Jesus is going to meet you right where you are and provide for you exactly what you need for you to have a relationship with Him forever. Because what Jesus does is Jesus welcomes those who humbly come to Him and are ready for Him to change their life forever. So the question I started with is, who gets in? Who gets in? Who does Jesus allow in? Does anybody who wants to come? No, Jesus says, you have to come to me like a little what? Child, right? How's a little child come? A little child comes accepting. A little child comes excited. A little child comes somewhat helpless, needing someone to help them. Jesus' message is not for people who have it all together. Not for the rich guy who had it all together and said, I just wanted one more thing just to add to my bucket list. Jesus says, I'm not for you. Jesus says, I'm not for the religious people. They just want to look good on the outside and keep all this bad stuff out and think you're okay. I'm not for you. 
Jesus says, I am for those individuals who recognize that I'm not too good and I'm not too bad for Jesus. I recognize I need Jesus and if I pursue Jesus and begin a relationship with Him, there's nothing that I can do to earn this or deserve it. Just like we sang in those songs earlier. No one is too unworthy. No one is too far away. No one is pushed away. And Jesus says, if you come and you come humbly, recognizing, acknowledging your need, I will always meet you there. I will always meet you there. Revelation 3.20, John writes these words that Jesus spoke. He said, here I am. I'm standing at a door and I'm knocking. And if anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. A woman was begging for Jesus. And even though she was at the end of the line, she decided Jesus was worth waiting for. A man who was mute with nothing to offer and likely filled with a life of shame, rejection, and abandonment is received by Jesus and his life is changed forever. I used to think that this verse was primarily for someone that needed to come to this come to Jesus moment where they had to come to this point in time in their lives where they had to choose to follow Jesus. And while I believe that's true, and I'm not sure if that's where you're at this morning, that you're at a place where you recognize, I'm tired of trying to make life work on my own, and I know that I need someone to, to free me from the weight of my own sin, and the only hope that I have is Jesus. I want to suggest to you that if that's the only time you ever needed Jesus, you're just like those religious, arrogant Pharisees. Because I want to suggest to you that if you are going to follow Jesus, if you're going to give your life to Him, if you want your life not to be about you, but to be about Him, you can't do it on your own. You can't make it happen on your own. And you need Him every single day. And this is not a once and done. This is every single day. And it doesn't matter your story. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your experience. If you're willing to humble yourself and come to Him, Jesus says this. He says, I'll welcome anyone who humbly comes to me and is ready for me to change their life forever. So I want to ask some of you this morning, I want to ask you this question. How are you coming to Jesus? Are you coming to Jesus with it all together? Not needing Him? And I want to challenge you to look at your heart and say, where in my life today do I need Jesus to show up for me? But some of you need to ask the question, I want to ask you this question, have you come to Jesus have you come to that place in your life where you recognize, I can't do life on my own. I need a Savior. And you acknowledge that His death on the cross paid for all of my sins and offers me life and hope and peace and joy in this life and the life to come. And maybe that's the question for you today. Will you bow your heads with me as we close? As you bow your heads, maybe some of you are just quietly in your own heart 
at the point of saying, you know, I, I know a little bit about Jesus, but I've never actually come to Jesus. I've never admitted that I'm a sinner and that I can't earn God's favor on my own. And today I recognize I need a Savior. So there in your own heart and in your thoughts, you're just telling God that. You're admitting your sin. And just like that verse says, you're standing on the other side of the door and you're opening that door and inviting Him into your life. And for those that have, my question to you is, how are you coming to Jesus today? How are you coming to Jesus? Like the woman who is desperately pleading and willing to stay there and just wait. Or maybe even like the man who felt like he didn't have much to offer, but Jesus met him there too. God, I pray that you would meet each of us where we are as we acknowledge how much we need your Son, our Savior, Jesus, in your name.